Blog Talk Radio. Gazette Online, and this is the TS Radio Network. Our show tonight is brought to you in coordination with Marcel Reed and Whistleblowers Life, and sponsored by Shenanigans in Montgomery County Courthouse, Pennsylvania, on Facebook. Um, So this is, I think, a very important show in regards to Veterans Day, and we'll get to that in a minute. I have been asked by numerous people to repeat my little list of do's and don'ts regarding all of this and number one is when you go in the hospital and they ask you to sign that blank form that you can't see sign the little box on admission it's just a standard admission form tell them to print it off and give you a hard copy because that little standard admission form is loaded with all sorts of little bombs and one of them being they can use biologics which is vaccines i have a hard line against vaccines Mine always says no vaccines of any kind whatsoever for any reason. Biologic allows them to do that anyway. They can do blood research on you. They don't need your permission. And in many cases now, what we're finding is that by signing this admission form, you reserve all rights to make medical decisions to the doctors and the hospital. You forfeit that right for yourself so they can do whatever they want. And if you won't do that, they'll call futility of care and have you thrown in hospice. Be careful if that statement is in there, get up and run. Number two, don't go to these fraudulent attorneys and law firms that, you know, help you avoid guardianship and conservatorship. Come to us and do estate planning. They know when they're selling you those expensive, worthless documents that they won't stand up for one second in probate court. That probate examiner will discard them as if they never existed. They are no protection whatsoever. And if you have had these plans in place, and this has happened to you where they have been discarded in probate court, I would go back and see about suing that law firm that sold them to you for fraud. Because after all, they were the expert. They should have known better. And, oh, goodness. The other thing is powers of attorney. It's one thing to have power of attorney like over the the person as far as their contracting, you know, their business, all of this. But you need a second medical power of attorney to be able to make any medical decisions. They aren't telling people that. You need a separate medical power of attorney giving someone the power to make those medical decisions. And again, this can be discarded by a probate examiner any damn day of the week, but it's at least worth a try. And you must register these, as I understand it, at the county courthouse. Get them on file at your county courthouse. Even then, you have little to no protection. But they're coming up with all sorts of of loopholes on this stuff, trying to dance their way around it as people learn what they're doing in the system. 
as our show indicates tonight, what is of issue these days is our veterans. We send them to war most of the times never really knowing what the real reason is. They are forced to witness and to perform terrible things. Many of them come home injured, both physically and mentally. And our response to that is to deny them care, to leave them in the street hungry and homeless and in shock many times. They are abused, mistreated, kicked around. This is our government at work. Yet on Veterans Day, they'll have all sorts of flashbang commercials, you know, waving the flag and showing the military marching and aren't we proud and blah, blah, blah. They could care less. They aren't going to go. Their kids aren't going to go. It's you and yours. They don't care. These people come home and those that do get a uh, benefit from the injuries they suffered. They are now immediately marked just like the elderly in hospice and uh, all of this. They are immediately targeted. They're worth money. So we have what's called pension poachers coming after them. And what they do is they guardianize them, they capture them, stash them in one of these hell holes they call a nursing home or assisted living, walk away and leave them and start collecting their pensions from them. Plus, they'll take any property they have. When they're done with them, there's nothing left. It's just a simple matter of how are we going to get rid of them. And they may have found the answer in hospice. Um, Many of them are being sent to hospice. We're finding uh, hospice, again, is not the Good Samaritan they used to be. They are, in fact, the embodiment of the Grim Reaper. And... People are meeting an untimely end there. Futility of care is called, and any doctor anywhere that has never seen you, never heard of you, never nothing with you, can call futility of care on you. And once that's done, all medical treatment of any kind is withheld. They won't treat you for anything, things that you've been on medication for, things you might need medication for now. But first and foremost, food and water, which was redefined under Obamacare, as medical treatment and not human necessity. These are the first two things that are withheld. Four days without water, your organs begin shutting down, which is a very painful process. And it's a slow grind to the end behind that. In comes the charge nurse with the kill shot, and she starts loading them up with massive amounts of morphine, pure rocks and all, cut with Haldol, Seroquel, Ativan, whatever, and they start this drugging until death. They put the person in a semi-coma, drug-induced coma. They still can suffer pain. They still know what's going on. They cannot verbalize or do anything. They will not give them hydration. You can see the tongue swelling. You can see they are just desperate for something wet. And when you ask the nurse, why can't you, what's going on here? Oh, they can't, they forgot how to swallow because that's how sick they are. They forgot how to swallow. No, they didn't forget. You drugged them so bad they can't. That's the difference. You put them in this position. And even if what you're saying is true, why don't you run a hydration pick? Oh, we can't do that. Why is that? Well, because the doctor said, well, get the doctor. Let's get one in there. Well, uh, we can't do that. 
I see. But you can give them another big dose of these killer medications, right? But this goes on every day. And that our veterans, after serving this country, are subjected to this is absolutely disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Nothing is done to protect these people. They are targeted. They are neglected. They they are without help almost on every... The, the VA agency is a disaster from one end to the other. Well known. The VA hospitals, abysmal places. And... I mean, did you do you remember a few years ago where they exposed Walter Reed Hospital, supposed to be the pinnacle of healthcare, you know, for for veterans? This place was absolutely eaten up with mold, paints peeling off the walls, ceiling tiles are falling out. The, it was absolutely a screaming disaster from one end to the other. And here it was being waved as, oh, this is the best there is. This is how we treat our veterans. Yeah, it is how we treat our veterans. It surely is. But we're going to be looking tonight closely again at Montgomery, Pennsylvania, and where veterans have been put under guardianship. Dr. Mary Witten is joining us, and she's going to be speaking about the alleged abuse and hasten death of Harvey Witten. And we'll go into detail on that. Was he murdered? We don't know. Reverend Ralph is well-versed in the shenanigans going on in Montgomery County, too. And he will be joining us to weigh in on both Montgomery County and how it really treats veterans. So, Dr. Whitten, Reverend Ralph, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You bet. Um, Dr. Whitten, let's start off with you. Um, why don't you give us a little bit of background on Harvey? I know we've we've heard this before, but just to freshen everybody up, because this is just one of those cases that will not go away. Um, this is this case cut far and deep. So why don't you give us a little bit background on this, and then we'll get into specifics. Okay. So um, my uh, he was my uncle Harvey. And he is a veteran of the Korean War, so he served our country. And when he was over there, he had, um, you know, soldiers die in his arms. And he made sure to remember who these people were so that when he got back to the States, he could contact their family and let their family know that their loved one did not die alone. So that's the type of person that he was. Um, So when he was um, 80, uh, he had a stroke. This was back in 2010. And uh, he, um, at that time, he was out in San Francisco, but they flew him to live in uh, Pennsylvania, and he moved in with his best friend at the time, uh, Robert Sproul. And they were, you know, they were both elderly. And... um, Supposedly, my uncle didn't have any viable power of attorney paperwork, even though he was always changing his will, like, all the time. So it's kind of like, really? He didn't have any power of attorney paperwork? I find that hard to believe. And um, so then uh, his, my cousins, his nephews, they petitioned for guardianship in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, in January of 2011. And... Um, 
my uncle didn't have any. He was he was never married, and he had one child, but the child was given up for adoption. So, um, you know, he didn't have any immediate family that would take care of him. So my cousins petitioned for guardianship up there in Montgomery County, and my uncle, he went ahead and he got the um, an attorney to represent him so because he didn't want to be under a guardianship. Now, my sister and I, we went up to visit him in January of 2011, but we had no idea that this was going on in the courts. And he was like... He was like our Uncle Harvey. It was like he hadn't even had a stroke. The only thing that was different was that he had lost his ability to read. But otherwise, it was like Uncle Harvey. So um, he got an attorney up there, and when they went to court, Judge Ott, Judge Stanley Ott, I mean, I I feel like he shouldn't even be called a judge. Is there, like, another name that you use for these people? Shyster? Yeah, yeah, but you can't use it on air. But go ahead. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, and this is the this is the art that has caused the term of an art hole to be developed for Montgomery County for those people that are involved in the courthouse and the predators that circle the um, elderly and abuse them financially and physically under the guise of oh we're here to help you. Um, so there is Title 20, Chapter 55, Subchapter C, Section 5511, says, In appropriate cases, counsel shall be appointed to represent the alleged incapacitated person if any matter for which counsel has not been retained by or on behalf of that individual. So my uncle had already retained counsel, and so Judge Ott goes against the Pennsylvania statutes, and he says, oh, no, 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 you can't have that attorney. And he appoints Diane Zabowski. So Diane Zabowski, I'm sure you've heard her name before because she was the um, the main attorney that was in Michael Volpe's three-part series at the Rebel Pundit showcasing her and her and her um being appointed as an attorney for these poor victims up there in Montgomery County. Um, so my uncle didn't even get to have his own his own attorney, even though he had hired one. So already it's in question of, like, you know, what's going on there. Um, does anyone want to pop in? I feel like I'm talking a lot. No, no. No, Mary, go please. Ahead. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay, so... Um, when so when that happened my the attorney that my um that my uncle had requested he starts to re- represent my uncle's best friend instead and then my uncle's best friend said that he wanted to be guardian of my uncle and then in August of 2011 uh judge Stanley Ott appoints Univest Bank via Juliana Van Doon King to be the financial guardian and um, my sister Cosmos as the co-guardian of the person. So, um, oh, with along with Robert Sproul, who is my, my uncle's um, best friend. So the two of them were going to be co-guardians. 
but they weren't they didn't have anything to do with the money so julia van doon king is a former court employee who worked closely with judge stanley ott before she got her job at univest bank and one of her one of her jobs at univest bank one of her duties was to increase the trust business in montgomery county so how convenient for her to have formerly been working with Judge Stanley Ott, and now Judge Ott is appointing Univest Bank to be the financial guardian. So that seems suspect to me. It's a little handy, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that's why they call the circle of predators, because they all kind of know each other. Right. Um, in my opinion. So um, on that for for that first hearing when they when they de- when they deemed my uncle incapacitated Diane Zabowski billed my uncle $7,000.01 for the hearing so my uncle was like forced to pay her at her regular rate now it's my opinion if you want to have like first of all he should be able to say if he wants to have a court appointed attorney or not but if there is going to be a court appointed attorney I feel like that type of attorney is the type of loser attorney that can't generate their own business, you know, like legitimately, and they have to, like, pander to a judge to have a judge hand them cases. And I feel like in that situation, it's my opinion that they should not be able to bill the $300 an hour or whatever ridiculous amount they have. If you're the loser attorney that has to be appointed, then you should get $50 an hour. What do you guys think about that? No, I I agree totally with that, Mary. I mean, the fact that these lawyers, or as I call them, shysters, uh, these these shysters, they don't even, when when they meet with the victim uh, in the very beginning, and I went through this myself with a very loved person, and I'm still going through it, they don't tell you that you can hire your own attorney, especially if you have the means to hire somebody. And when they meet with the victim, they do not allow family members to be a part of that meeting, and they don't make notes uh, for the victim to uh, review later and for the family members to uh, review later. What they claim is, what these shysters claim is, well, there is a lawyer-client confidentiality, and you're not allowed to be in the meeting and this and that. Well, family court or orphans court it's not like criminal court where you have to abide by every little rule and statute as far as how things are conducted. Orphan's court is supposed to be about what's best for the victim, and the family is the first ones that will be involved with that. So instead of making the family a part of the situation, the uh, chain or the circle of criminals, as we are talking about, they want to keep the family uh, away so that way they can take over and they can get things done with the corrupt judge and the corrupt guardian and the corrupt lawyers and so forth uh, without the family interfering with their plan. And again, this deals with people, basically this corruption uh, of taking people over under guardianship basically is only conducted on people that have a house and a lot of money. You don't see these guardians in the low-income neighborhoods it's uh, basically done at the middle income or upper income uh, levels. 
So it, it's a situation where it is a uh, it's basically done with a playbook, and this is done nationwide as far as how these corrupt lawyers, corrupt guardians, corrupt judges, and also most important, the one thing that's not talked about are these corrupt psychologists who do the so-called evaluations of the victim to have them declared incapacitated. And in Pennsylvania, as I went through it and I found out about a year ago, uh, there in Pennsylvania there are no standards or requirements for what constitutes a evaluation uh, for, to determine if somebody is incapacitated or not. In Pennsylvania, they're referred to as IME, Independent Medical Evaluation. But they're not independent. The court assigns a psychologist who charges ridiculously outrageous rates. And for this person of mine that uh, I'm dealing with now, this psychologist, uh, his name is George Ladakis. He's in Chatsford, Pennsylvania. He supposedly has a Ph.D., he conducted a two-and-a-half-hour evaluation of this person, charged $4,000 for it, and what, when it came into the court, and it was my time to question Lodakis, he admitted basically everything of my questions was that there are no standards, no requirements for what constitutes an evaluation to determine if somebody's incapacitated. So in other words... One psychologist might have a one-hour time, and another psychologist may have a two-hour time that they spend with the victim. And what I found out also is all of the tests, the so-called tests that are used by the psychologist, none of them have any independent proof of accuracy. It's whatever, whatever they want to download from the Internet and call that an evaluation. Well, the fact is, I don't know how many other states have any type of evaluations, and that's something the listeners should check on, because how many people have been sent to their doom in these nursing homes where the person uh, is then drugged and drained of his money by the uh, court-appointed lawyer and the court-appointed guardian and so forth, and that these people are just basically sent to hell uh, for the rest of their lives, and their families never have a chance to uh, get anything from the person in, that was in their will. And this, I think, is stealing from two different people, the family and also the victim. So it's very important for the listeners to check if they're going through something like this now or have gone through it, find out you might be within the time limit of filing an appeal or maybe filing a lawsuit because if you find out that there are no standards for what is an evaluation then you have a very good chance of proving fraud which is criminal on the psychologist that conducted it and mary uh, i i like to start exposing these people and using their names and i think this is something where we will have uh, we will be giving great benefit to people in our areas because these people might have been dealing with these lawyers and guardians and so forth. And I know you have a lot more to talk about as far as how Kaz got thrown out of being guardian of the estate, I believe, with uh, Univest. 
Uh, you want to take it from there? Um, well, sure. And you know what? I'd, I'd like to um, touch on the uh, medical part again, too, because that happened to my uncle also where they appointed a doctor. Instead of just using his regular doctor, like, why can't you use their regular doctor? They have insurance. Like, use one, in, use one that's in their, that's in their, um, in their program. So uh, he had to pay $1,500, but that was back in 2011. So maybe with inflation, it's up to $4,000 now. But, yeah, he was forced to pay out of his pocket $15,000 to some fool to do a medical evaluation on him. What type and, of medical test did they do, Mary? Well, I have. I was just opening it up. I was looking at the mental, the mini mental state examination. Right. Well, right. this is one that was at the um, that they gave him at the hospital, and they ask questions like, um, just so people know what is on this exam, what is the year, season, date, day, month. So if you go in and you don't know the what date it is, the day and the month. Because, you know, sometimes i got to look at the calendar and say, well, is it the 12th or the 13th? You know, I'm not perfect. So you could lose a point just, just for that. Um, then they want to know uh, what state and county you're in and what town or city you're in and if you're in the hospital on what floor are you on. And so if you're, like, if you're like in a state of, um, you know, being nervous or whatever, and you put, they put you in the hospital and maybe you don't even push the floor number, and then they're going to ask you what floor you are on the hospital, and then if you don't know, you're going to lose a point. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. And um, then, they'll, then they're going to name three common objects, like an apple, table, or penny. And then I guess a little bit later they try to ask you if you remember what, you know, what those three words were. That would be real easy to miss that if you're not really paying that much of attention or, or if you're nervous especially if you're nervous. Um, then they want you to spell a word backwards. Uh, and then they have um, language like to name a pencil and a watch or, or to repeat the following, no ifs, and, or buts, and stuff like that. And then they have them, um, uh, let's see, is that read and obey the following, close your eyes, write a sentence, copy the following design. And it's like a pentagon. So those are the type of questions that are on this exam. And I think the total is supposed to be 30 on this. Yeah, you're right, Mary. It's it's 30 points. And it's fascinating, uh, and I'm glad you brought up the MMSC, because what I found out was depending on what site you download the MMSC, the Mini Mental State Exam, from, the questions are the same, but, but, What's important is the scoring conclusions, and that varies from site to site. What I'm trying to say is, for example, if you download the MMSC for one site, if you get 26 uh, to 30, okay, you have no incapacitation. But then when you get from, say, uh, 22 to 26, in one site it might be mild, uh, you know, dementia or whatever, or another site might say severe uh, dementia or incapacitation. So this is how ridiculous these evaluations are, and the psychologists 
don't even realize that their scores, depending on what site they downloaded that MMSC from, it can have different conclusions that they will then write in their report as far as how they judge that person as far as his incapacitation level. And some of the other stupid questions, and again, they're stupid, they're just questions. They're, they have nothing to do with the person's ability to um, make rational decisions and so forth. Um, some of the other questions might be draw a clock or, you know, uh, you're supposed to connect the numbers from 1 to 20 or something like that. But what's interesting is uh, 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 this loved person that I've been dealing with for the last, you know, 17 months, what I realized was a person doesn't have to know how to spell a word backwards or doesn't know how to, if they don't know how to uh, draw a clock and have it at five after six or something like that. What's important for a person to do his daily life is does he know common sense or does he have common sense and does he know right from wrong? And I made up my own tests, two different tests, 40 questions each, that deal with those specific areas. And what I did was I bought a daily newspaper. I had the person hold the daily newspaper, and I videotaped those tests with my cell phone camera. And anybody, everybody has a cell phone camera these days, and everyone takes pictures and video. And the questions had to deal with, for example, uh, if you're cooking something on the stove, uh, and there's a grease fire, what do you do? And the correct answer would be, you know, smother it, put baking soda on it, something like that. Or another question might be, if somebody calls you up on the phone and tries to sell you a goose that lays golden eggs, uh, do you buy it? And, again, obviously the correct answer is no. And these are the 40-type questions that I asked this person and on video. And every question this person got right, as opposed to this quack psychologist, this George Ladakis, with his two-and-a-half-hour BS evaluation where he charged $4,000. And at the very end of it, he says, well, in my opinion, uh, the, the person is incapacitated. Well, we're not asking for his opinion. We're asking for facts. And this is how... Both him and another quack psychologist, a guy by the name of uh, Carol, also I think in Chatsworth, Pennsylvania, who the courts use to give a so-called evaluation, uh, he also gave a one. He gave only a one-hour evaluation, charged this person a thousand dollars, and he said the same thing at the end that in his opinion, this person is incapacitated. And they, he also used this MMSE and a couple other ones like, you know, make a clock and, you know, draw the hands on and whatever. So this is how pathetic this, this scam is. And it, there's no, basically, in my opinion, there's no credibility to this guardianship scam. It's just a scam like any other scams that are criminal, you know, selling uh, like a Ponzi scam or something like this. You have certain people that are going along with kickbacks and bribes in order to get money, and they get this money from the people that have a house and have money in the bank and so forth were successful in life. So just like 
uh, in Pennsylvania, it's called an IME, Independent Medical Evaluation. That was another question I asked Ladakis in court. I said, what medical test did you give this person? And his answer was, what do you mean? And I said, well, did you give an eye test? Did you give an ear hearing test? And he said no. So in other words, the name itself is a lie. There is no medical evaluation because there were no medical tests involved. As it, uh, as it turned out, they didn't know that this person has a 25% hearing loss in one ear. Now, that's important because if they did not hear the question correctly, they may give an incorrect answer based on that. And another important fact, and for some of the listeners who don't know, I spent 41 years doing criminal investigations. So I was pro se in court and uh, at this petition hearing uh, where Ladakis was and a couple other people. And, uh, again, this is why I was able to ask the good questions. And one of the things I found out was that uh, this Ladakis uh, never, and none of the other quack psychologists like Carol, they do not record their evaluation. So when they claim people, a certain person may not answer or did not answer a question correctly or something like that, they have no proof that they did. So they can make up all kinds of things that the person did or did not do. And also, how do we even know that any evaluation was ever done? And that's an important point. It could just be where they talked about uh, somebody's grandchildren for two hours or whatever, and then the report is nothing more than a cut and paste of previous reports that were made on other people. So uh, this is why it's so important that when you just do basic, uh, basic items of what the evaluation was and whether or not the court assigned a lawyer and so forth, that people have to ask these questions, especially if they're just going through it now, they have to find out these answers, and this is something that lawyers, if they're doing guardianships, they don't know these things. They just think sign the papers, give this paper, get that paper, fill out that form, and la-di-da, now two, hour, or two weeks later, the person's declared incapacitated for the rest of their life. Now, I have a website, as I've mentioned before. It's called Protect My Parents. US. And if you go to that website, you'll find links to other websites that deal with guardianship corruption and also um, other articles and so forth that date back many years. But for Pennsylvania and basically also the rest of the United States, about 15 years ago, a very, very important case was established in Pennsylvania. It's called the Rosengarden case. And that case was uh, decided by the Pennsylvania Superior Court about 15 years ago. And the common belief is if once you're declared incapacitated, you have no more rights. You're just a piece of you're a furniture, a chair, a desk, or whatever. But in Pennsylvania, that's not true. The, the incapacitated person uh, still has the right to decide how their, uh, how their property is to be distributed. And Rosengarden was an elderly woman. She was declared incapacitated, and her house was sold without even asking her uh, what she wanted, whether or not she wanted the house sold. 
and she appealed it but she, at, at the lower court, you know, the, the house was taken away from her and sold. She appealed the case, and the Pennsylvania Superior Court ruled that even a person that's been declared incapacitated still has the right to decide what they want to do with their property. And again, that's very important to give these victims, as I call them, not wards. Uh, I, I hate that term, ward. That's a lawyer word, because it's a person. They, they have blood, they have feelings, they have uh, emotions, and these people are basically treated like they're just a bank account with a number. So this is why it's very important that, uh, you know, you call these people by their names, if you can do it, to give them some, you know, status as far as being a real person. And uh, mm. the Superior Court case, the Rosengarden case, probably could be used in other states as an example to say that these people still have basic rights, even though they're basically being ignored by their own court-appointed lawyer and guardian and so forth. Um, Mary, I'd like you to talk also about the uh, shyster, as I call him, uh, Jazz Kobriak, who uh, you know, got uh, Kaz uh, thrown off as guardian uh, with Univest. Yeah, I, well, I, I want to add, um, there is a Dr. Kenneth Carroll. Is that the same Carroll you're talking yes. about? Yes. Okay, so he's appointed in Montgomery County quite a bit. And um, there was one case where he was testifying in front of probably Otter Murphy, one of, the, one of those shysters. And um, he said in his testimony, oh, the maximum is 30, but... Anything less than 30, you have mental deterioration or something to that effect. So he was pretty much saying that if you scored a 30 or a 29, that you have problems. When there's a question on here of, you know, what day is it and what floor are you on in the hospital? So if you miss one of those questions, then you have a mental problem and you should have a guardian. That, that guy wow. is insane, well, in my opinion. Well, Mary, what's interesting, again, you brought him up, and along with the other uh, quack psychologist, uh, Ladakis. Now, people might be thinking, oh, if uh, he's using the words like quack and so forth, they're going to sue this guy, Reverend Ralph. Good. I want them to sue me because I will countersue, and, and I will then have the right to subpoenas. I will have the right to discovery. And that is the death of any criminal when you start, you know, of white crime, white collar crime like this is. Uh, when you start demanding who, their who all the people were that they tested and so forth and all the court cases and all, you bring their families into it that were victims of these quack psychologists, they, they're going to have massive lawsuits against them. And so far, again, I'm so much involved with this, my, that one person's case that I am fully intend to find a good lawyer in Pennsylvania and have a class action lawsuit filed against, these, uh, against all these uh, lawyers, shysters, law firms that do guardianships, because they never ask the one important question of these quacks. What is the accuracy of your evaluation? Now, it's interesting that these quacks have their own little scoring systems 
but they don't have any proof of the test accuracy that they're using to decide someone's fate forever? I, I think that's inexcusable. And again, uh, I plan to do many, many things, including filing complaints against them with the American Psychological Association or the state agency in Pennsylvania that gives them licenses to practice, because these people are committing fraud. They are charging people unbelievable amounts of money, and they're not, they don't have any product that has credibility. I mean, if you sell a pill that you say takes off 10 pounds and you sell it for $100, if you don't have proof that it works, that's called fraud, and that's a criminal offense. And yet these quack psychologists, they're charging thousands of dollars. The courts are using them as proof, quote-unquote proof, that somebody is incapacitated, when in fact the shysters uh, who do guardianships, they never did their due diligence, a nice little shyster term, due diligence, meaning you check things out. Here you have lawyers that went to college, went to three years of law school, and they never asked the psychologist, what's the accuracy of your so-called evaluation? Now, uh, Mary, you mentioned something a few minutes ago. The fact is, everybody, everybody at all ages forget things. And Marty had talked about this many times in the past months. If you're 25 years old and you lose your car keys, okay, everybody loses things, no big deal. If you're 70 and you lose your car keys, oh, now you've got dementia. Well, as Marty has said before, that's age discrimination. And if we want to talk about people that are incapacitated because they forget, well, every lawyer should be declared incapacitated because every lawyer used yellow pads, something as simple as yellow pads. They make notes. They have to make notes because they forget. Well, doesn't that mean they're incapacitated, they have dementia or whatever? I mean, this is how stupid the whole matter sounds. And this is why the family should be made to, uh, not made to, but they should be encouraged to be a part of this victim's life so to help them with their finances and medical appointments and so forth, not pushed away, and that's what these corrupt guardians do. So uh, please, Mary, go on, and uh, again, I'm, the audience will find you fascinated as far as how much you and your sister did to try to help your uncle, Harvey. Yeah, so, so my sister was the uh, co-guardian with uh, my uncle's best friend, Bob Sproul, and my sister, you know, she lived in Wisconsin, and they're in Pennsylvania, but she would call one or two times a week just to see how things were going, and she thought Bob was just being dramatic when he would be saying, the fix is on, the fix is on. And, he, you know, she, he was saying that they were the court people, the court-appointed people were after my Uncle Harvey's money. And my sister was thinking that he was just being dramatic and there's just no way because we were oblivious that courts did this back back then. Um, of course, now we realize that it's all, all over the country, all over the world, really. Um, so she, uh, you know, she, she had her, you know, she was warned. She was forewarned that there might be something funny going on. So um, on November 14th in 2011, Univest Bank submitted their first accounting of my uncle's estate, and um, it added up to 
$3.9 million around. So he had he had quite a bit of money. So, of course, they would want to have access to all of that money. Um, so Univest Bank charged between December 2011 to August of 2012. They charged about $16,500 to manage my uncle's account. So, uh, you know, like over $1,000 a month to pay bills, I guess. And then I think that they also could charge, like, hourly fees if they wanted to. Um, Then when they had their annual report come out later the next year, I think you would have to have a forensic accountant figure out what they were doing because the initial value was $3,950,002.37 was the starting value, but then they claimed that there was $108,254.22 spent, and then um, plus he supposedly earned $92,031.63, and somehow when they did that math, they come up with $4,071,829.75. So, you know, who knows what they're doing? So in... um, February of 2012, my sister and I went to visit my my uncle, and um, my uncle had been, or my uncle's best friend had been diagnosed with lung cancer at that point. And um, my uncle's best friend wanted to make sure that my uncle Harvey was cared for really well, so he meticulously picked the home caregivers that were going to be with my uncle Harvey in his home. And he would put them to a test. So he would bring them to the grocery store, and he would see if my Uncle Harvey would wander away from them. And if they wandered away, then he'd be like, nope, nope, not that one. So he was very meticulous about the, the aids that he chose. So when he died, they had really good aids that he had chosen were in place to take care of my uncle. So my sister flew out there in September of 2012, and this is when... Um, my uncle's best friend was on hospice then, and, um, you know, he wanted to make sure that he was, like, always so concerned about, you know, what's going to happen to Uncle Harvey after he dies, and he wanted to be sure that he was in good hands. And then in September of 22nd of 2012, he, he did die. So uh, my sister and I traveled up to Pennsylvania then, and we had seen that my uncle had deteriorated from our last visit, and my sister had noticed it with the phone calls over the summer that uh, he was sporadically cognizant of who we were and who his family was, and he still walked competently, and he would, he would use a walker for long distances, but he would go down to the gym and ride his exercise bike every morning for 30 minutes. So he was still in pretty good shape to be able to be riding his exercise bike every morning. So um, my they had they had switched attorneys to Maza and David, and they told my sister that she had to apply for another co-guardian who would be local so that they could put pills in the pillbox for my Uncle Harvey. And they originally had re- recommended um, some, not they certainly didn't recommend Deborah Clark, but for some unknown reason, they withdrew the paperwork of who they recommended as co-guardian and then they put back they put it back in and they replaced it with Deborah Clock. So I'm sure there was some type of conversation going on, you know, behind the scenes for that to have happened. 
Um, so in November of 2012, uh, Stanley Ott appoints Deborah Clark as the co-guardian of F. Harvey Witten. So now it's my sister of the of the person. So it's still Univest Bank is still in control of the money. So Clark and my sister are co-guardians. And at, again, at this point, none of us were aware that there was such a thing as guardianship abuse. But I remember when I saw her first bill for $14,342 for services from October 4th, 2012 to January 31st, 2013, which averaged $120 a day that she was charging my Uncle Harvey, um, I was kind of flabbergasted, like, oh, my gosh, how how on earth can can someone appointed by the court charge so much money to my uncle? So obviously now we're all starting to have a clue that perhaps, you know, his best friend was right that the fix was on. So um, after Clock was uh, the co-guardian, she started changing my uncle's doctors and changing his medication and doing all of this stuff behind my sister's back, even though my sister was the co-guardian. And then she also started instituting uh, music therapy for my uncle, so her friend could charge his estate $125 an hour to play a guitar and sing. And this is um, 2012, $125 an hour. So that's, you know, a little bit more than what $125 an hour is now, and it's still a lot an hour now, but it was even more back then. And my uncle was very frugal. He did not have $4 million because he liked to spend money. He was very frugal, and that's why he had that much money. And um, he would be horrified if he knew that he was paying $125 an hour to have someone play guitar and sing at him. So um, Deborah Clark, she wanted to uh, push my uncle to be put into an adult daycare center, which then that would remove the need for my Uncle Harvey to have those aides that were so meticulously chosen by his best friend um, who who took care of my Uncle Harvey. And those aides were you know, they took it seriously. So um, at one point, the the whole Witten family, all, all the nieces and nephews, we wanted to make arrangements for one of the aides to have the car that was Robert Sprouse and my Uncle Harvey's that they owned together. And this is a task where if the family was in control, this would have been done, and we would have given that aide the car so that he could drive my uncle around and, and stuff like that. But nope. Never, never would happen. Um, so the, then we speculate that Deborah Clark started messing and manipulating with my uncle's medication so as to make him go crazy and causing him to go into a psych ward and several hospitals. And while he was in these facilities, uh, Clark was asked numerous times to retrieve my uncle's glasses, dentures, and hearing aids from his apartment, but she would never do it. So there he is. Can you imagine being somewhere with no glasses, no dentures, and no hearing aids? I mean, that would be horrifying if you needed those things. So what type of person wouldn't give you these things that, that you need? It's disgusting. Well, they do this all the time, um, and it's one of the ways to dehumanize and isolate the individual uh, because it leaves them unable many times to communicate, to carry on a conversation, even if someone does try to speak with them, 
the hearing aid, they can't hear them. Uh, many people who wear dentures, you know, of course, are very self-conscious about it. Um, it there, there are so many things at play here, but it's part of this psychological beaten up that they take. Um, they, everything is done, like I say, to dehumanize them, to take their own sense of humanity away from them and reduce them basically to nothing. And it's it's quite effective. They know it is, but this is why they do it. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting. Yes. So in uh, February of 2013, my uncle's aide started voicing concerns that the medication that was being administered to him was knocking him out after, after they were being administered. And... Um, you know, this is this is certainly very concerning to us. You know, we're like, what what's going on? So um, they wanted to move my uncle into the uh, assisted living portion. He was living at the Shannondale, so they wanted to move and relocate him to the assisted living portion of it. And I remember Clark calling me up, telling me how horrible it was that Robert Sproud's nephew was so greedy and took everything out of the apartment. And she was saying how my uncle needed furniture and dishes and everything in the apartment um, will fit in the new assisted living facility because, you know, there just wasn't much there. So I told her, you know, don't buy any dishes for him because I, I have plenty, so I'll just bring some up when I was going up there. So when I was telling my sister about what Clock was saying, um, my sister said that, the, you know, who lives halfway across the country, who's not even there, that she knows that everything was in the apartment and that it will not fit in the assisted living facility and that and that he still had dishes. So you know, what why why is she lying like this? And then um when Clark my sister talked to Clark on the phone a day or so later, Clark said that um she was packing dishes at my uncle's apartment. So why does she tell me that there's no dishes, but yet she's packing dishes at my Uncle Harvey's apartment when my sister's talking to her? So then, um, you know, Kaza's all confused because she thought that there's no dishes there. And then she goes, Clock goes on to say that she wanted to give this brand-new grill that they had out on the balcony that, that was not my Uncle Harvey's, it was Bob Sprouse, that she wanted to give it to the Goodwill. And then uh, when I went out there... like a little bit later in March, there was no grill on the patio or out on the balcony. So who knows what she did with that? I mean, I can just only assume that she's pilfering through everything and taking what she wants because there's no paper trail for anything in the apartment. You can just take all these guardians. They can go in. They can take whatever you want because when you look at their accountings, the accountings never talk about, oh, they have a TV, they have a computer, they have, you know, diamond rings, they have mink coats. Like, this type of stuff doesn't show up in there. They only talk about what's on paper. Like, they have property, the house that's worth $300,000, and they have $200,000 in their retirement account. That's all that ever shows up on their accounting of everything that they own. All the valuables that they couldn't trace, like, you can just steal it, and there'd be no trace of it. That type of stuff is not showing up on these reports in Montgomery County. Any comment on that, Reverend? Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, um, you're exactly right on that, Mary, as far as the property. This is something where, uh, you know, except for the big-ticket items like the house 
or a car. I know in this person of mine, uh, Logie, Dwayne Logie, and like I said, we have to expose these people. We just can't refer to them as a lawyer or a guardian. We have to say their names because this will people that listen to this show, they might hear us talk about them and say, oh, I got this guy as a guardian or I got this lawyer or shyster and, or I had this psychologist. And this is important to say their names to expose these people because that's what I've been doing for the last year and a half. And I've ticked off many of these people because I've embarrassed them on the air, on this show. And I've written about them on my website, protectmyparents.us. So you're, uh, when this Dwayne Logie, who was appointed by the court, uh, he, he was appointed by the court, he was recommended by David Jaskowiak, a shyster in Jenkintown, Pennsylvania, uh, and who was appointed by the court as this my loved person's um, guardian, or not guardian, personal lawyer. When in the very beginning, I, when I started questioning Jaskowiak, he became very, very defensive. <clears throat> and this is the problem. When, when you're dealing with people in criminal investigations, when they don't answer questions, and a favorite expression in my business is, when you don't answer a question, you're answering that question. So every time Jess Kowiak would not answer my questions of what was discussed and, you know, why didn't he make notes and all, he wouldn't answer me. He'd just walk away. And, again, uh, this Dwayne Logie, when he was appointed in the beginning for about six months of both guardian of the person and guardian of the estate, I could tell this guy was a crook from right away because he sent me an email that night and he said to me, you, are, you have 30 days to move out of this person's house. And he said, you are not in charge anymore. I am. If you cooperate, things will go smoothly. Now, that told me right off. He thought he was the owner of this person, and he just thought he was the king, you know, of this person and everything in this person's life. So uh, he, this Dwayne Logie, uh, on the inventory sheet that they do, I think it's every three months or so, he listed this person's car, whose value was about six to $7,000. He only listed it for $1,500. So I could tell right away that, uh, you know, he was undervaluing the car just in order to maybe sell it at a higher price and keep the difference. And, again, uh, I was talking to somebody who has been going through this for years, uh, Mary Bush, who is an expert in the law. I mean, she's not a lawyer, but she is so much an expert in this guardianship, uh, you know, corruption. Uh, she was telling me that it's basically a playbook that all these corrupt guardians do and the corrupt lawyers and all nationwide. Uh, for example, when they get control they start hiring staff, staff that they then charge the victim for, and they kick back, you know, 20% or whatever to the person that hired them. Now, believe it or not, Dwayne Logie hired this shyster, Diane Zabowski, right after he was appointed. And I asked the uh, shyster judge in Norristown in the Orphan's Court, her name is Gail Weilheimer, 
Uh, she's been in the orphans court for seven, eight years, I believe. I asked her, I said, why, was, why did this Dwayne Logie hire a lawyer? And she simply said, because he wanted one. Really? And then Diane Zabowski uh, um, billed this person for her charges on top of it, along with Dwayne Logie's supposedly time that he did something pertaining to the matter. And what's also interesting is Dwayne Logie also hired Deb Clock to be the care manager. And when I got Dwayne Logie and Zabowski fired six months ago for incompetence, uh, then we hired another guardian by the name of Pam Blummer from Reading. And what's interesting is no sooner did my lawyer and I hire her than she hired her husband, Bill Blummer, as her lawyer. And this is what these corrupt guardians do. They hire all these different people, and they charge it to the victim just so everybody gets a little money out of it. But the problem is, and I've said this to my lawyer, the problem is they do not get the permission of the, uh, of the court or of the victim to hire this staff. When they're hired as a guardian, that is their job. A guardian of the person is supposed to take care of the person, make sure their medical appointments are kept, and so forth and so on. Guardian of the estate, their responsibility is control of the money and the financial assets of the victim. So that's their job, but they don't even try to get permission from anybody to hire this staff that they have charging to the victim. So this Deb Clock, who was hired by Dwayne Logie, her title is care manager, and she was kept on by this Pam Blummer. And again, I have found other things from other people about this Deb Clock and also from cause uh, how Clock, you know, mismanaged Harvey Witten. So the problem is, uh, why are Dwayne Logie, uh, when he was guardian of both person and estate of this person, and also Deb Clock, why was she hired as care manager? I mean, it, it's ridiculous to think that uh, you need all these people to do the job that only one person was officially appointed by the court. And the answer really is that nationwide there are no strict definitions or rules or whatever that guardians have to live by. They're basically very, very general things. And just like, uh, Mary, what you said about the items in the house, basically it's only the big-ticket items, the house, the car, and basically and the other financial assets like CDs or whatever. But all the items in the house, these guardians just think it's theirs. It's like a free uh, department store just for them and their friends and family to take whatever they want. And this is why, uh, again, it's just like legalized theft. Um, you touched on something else about the uh, drugging, Mary. One of the things I found out was uh, I talked to a company about six months ago that does analysis, uh, like DNA analysis, blood analysis, hair analysis, and so forth, and uh, he was telling me, the owner was telling me, 
the average hair grows about one centimeter a month, centimeter a month. And if you suspect, or if anybody in the audience suspects that the person is being drugged, that their personality changes, or they're constantly sleeping, or they can't walk like they used to suddenly, that they're, uh, if you take like maybe 25 or 30 individual hairs, at least say two inches long, and you submit it for hair analysis, they use, and it's a couple hundred dollars, it's not that expensive, the laboratory can find, runs the hair through maybe different tests, and they can find any number of a thousand different types of drugs, both legal and illegal, that was in the system as far back as three months. Remember, one centimeter per month. So if you, say, cut, you know, two inches of hair off, they can go back three months and find out what drugs were in their system at that time. So that can help you uh, or help anybody in the audience find out if they are, you know, to confirm their suspicions that these people are being drugged. Now, there is the possibility that their condition does or might get a little worse as time goes on. That's possible. But when you're dealing with these type of guardians and lawyers and all who want to keep secrets to themselves and they won't answer your questions and all, this is why maybe uh, cutting some hair once in a while, and you just take it from different areas so it doesn't look obvious, you take this hair and have it analyzed, you may find out that it's confirming your suspicion that their dr these drugs are being given to these people. Now, this person uh, that I'm involved with, uh, they're in a nursing home right now, and I know twice a day this person is getting some type of medication, but I don't know what it is. So uh, I'm very, very, uh, I'm very, very observant as far as uh, speech. Or uh, there is their speech slurred, for example. Are they walking differently? Are they off balance many times? Are they not making sense anymore? Uh, these are the kind of things I'm constantly watching to see if this person is now, you know, has been getting drugs. Um, the one question that people who are going through these guardianship um, nightmares is uh, if you're trying to get a guardian off, thrown off, or their lawyer uh, thrown off, uh, the one question that you should ask is, is this person, is this victim better off today with their guardian or lawyer than before the guardian or lawyer was appointed? And if the answer is they're no better off, then this guardian or lawyer that was appointed really hasn't done any job for them. I mean, have they missed medical appointments? Are they ignoring the welfare of the family to be interacting with the person? Um, and this is why it's very important to just ask that one basic question. How is the victim better off now with these strangers in their lives than before? And people think these guardians are somebody special. They're not. They don't have any training. It's simply a business that they started and really it's legalized theft that's all it is because they're not doing anything for the person they're not spending time with the person they're not trying to help this person and mary you mentioned about 
they were charging uh, Harvey, um, I forget what you say, $125 for somebody to play the guitar for him and so forth. Once again, I saw this in my person's uh, what, what the Guardian Pam Blummer tried to do a couple of months ago was to hire a person to sit with my loved person and just talk to him uh, and try to make him color books or use crayons or something at hundreds of dollars an hour. And this is just outrageous. I mean, it's just a way to, ga- uh, to gouge these victims. Now, for the people that don't listen to the show often, I refer to this person as a loved person, this person that I've been dealing with. I cannot mention the person's name or relation because I was thrown in prison last year by Gail Weilheimer and Jess Koviak because I did reveal this person's name and the relationship. And I had put this, the story of what happened, on my website. And they claimed, Jess Kobiak and Weilheimer, they tried to claim I violated this person's privacy. Well, no, I wasn't. I was exposing a scam, a crime. Now, just like any criminal, they don't want their crime being, uh, you know, exposed on, you know, in, uh, in the media or whatever. And my website, protectmyparents.us, I have it specifically said. It's a news website, and that's why I have other people's associations that deal with guardianship corruption. So it's a constitutional right. It's called freedom of the press and freedom of speech. But when you have criminals that are trying to protect the scam that they're involved in, yes, they're going to try to throw somebody in prison, which they did for a week, where I could have very easily been murdered, but... That would have been one less problem for Jess Kobiak and the others that are involved with the scam. So this is why <clears throat> this is why I refer to this person as a very much loved person without saying the name or the relationship, just so I don't get thrown back in prison again. But uh, no, it's uh, Mary. I want you to continue and tell the listeners more about how Deb Clock uh, had overdosed uh, Harvey and so forth, and how Jess Kobiak got cause removed uh, uh, because of Univest and so forth. Okay, so I had been to visit my uncle in the fall of 2012, and when I went back on March 1st of 2013, I was shocked at how much he had declined. And Clock, of course, became his co-guardian back in the fall of 2012. I, he could barely walk. The previous fall, I was dancing with him, and so, and never in a million years would I have guessed that it was a result of inappropriate medication being prescribed by a doctor as a chemical restraint. But um, my sister, Cosmas, she started doing the Google um, search, and she finds a review online stating, "Beware of Deborah Clock of DLK Managed Care Solutions." Since she had taken full advantage of their family and wiped out $2 million. So my sister was like, ah, because, again, you know, we didn't know this stuff was going on. And now she sees this review about the co-guardian that's supposed to be overseeing our uncle. So um, she ended up figuring out how to call the person who left the review on the phone. And they said not only did she 
wiped them out of $2 million, they claimed that she also changed up all the doctors and then put her on some, changed up all her medication and that her, their, um, the, I think it was the grandmother, the grandmother's health and died within six months. So when my sister heard that, she was like, what? And then when she was talking to the aides, the aides were like, you need to get the medical paperwork, all the medical records. So since my sister was co-guardian, she was able to get the medical records. And we started, like, reading through them. And that's when we saw that, uh, sure enough, he had been on, before Clock was the guardian, he was on um, vitamins, folic acid, uh, you know, some other medicines, but, like, no antipsychotics. And as soon as Clock was in charge and was changing up all his doctors, uh, all of a sudden he's on five milligrams of Haldol a day. And very clearly on the black box label, it's not recommended for older people with dementia. So we we were flabbergasted that they were doing this to him. So, we, so my sister started contacting the nursing home administrator named Dan Freed from the Shenandoah, and we were saying, hey, look, he's not supposed to be on five milligrams of Haldol a day. And we're, like, sending him the literature that says, you know, that this is too much. It's not. It's on the black box label. It's not supposed to be given to um, elderly people. And 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 but Dan Freed and the doctors at the Shenandoah they refused to change the medical protocol of our uncle. And we have numerous emails documenting this. So um, we call that Univest Bank uh, via the former court employee of Julia Juliana Van Doon King. She writes a petition to the court to have my sister removed as co-guardian. So you heard that right. A bank who is supposed to only be involved with the finances is submitting a petition to the court to have a family member who wants to have, you know, second medical opinions and stuff like that, have that family member removed as co-guardian. So in her um, petition... She cited reasons such as Cosmos has different opinions than Clock on her uncle's care. Like, it's, why is that a crime to have a different opinion than than a, a serial killer, in my opinion? Um, then she also had Cosmos relies on information given to her by the uncle's aides instead of Deb Clock. Like, why is a bank writing a petition like this? That what, what does the bank have to do with this? And, but the bank has something to do with it because she's part of the circle of predators, in my opinion. And so that's why she doesn't want my sister in there, and they can just talk to her, oh, why don't you write the petition to have, to have her removed? A bank. So that was Univest Bank, everybody, that wrote a petition to have my sister removed as co-guardian of the person. Oh, and another reason she had in the petition was that my sister wanted a second opinion from a board-certified doctor on her uncle's medical protocol. So, and also that the family wanted clock removed from any involvement with our uncle. So the bank was so concerned that we would have problems with Deb Clock and that we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't appreciate her opinions on the care of our uncle that they decided to petition the court to have my sister removed. So um, I sent a 
an, an affidavit, a signed affidavit back to, oh no, wait, first I sent an email to all the Univest directors explaining why they should revoke their petition since my Uncle Harvey was being medically abused and only Casas was advocating for his health. And Univest Bank, I mean, I sent it to all the directors, and Univest Bank responded back, eh, see you in court for the most part. They could care less. They could care less. I had in there how he was, he was, they were giving him five milligrams of hell all day, you know, all the stuff about how it's not right for you, and could you please take back this petition because my sister is the only one advocating for his health. And Univest Bank's like, eh, we don't care, see you in court. I mean, I would never bank with Univest Bank. Who would want to have someone like that overseeing your money? They're, they're the type of bank that would probably petition for guardianship of someone if they tried to take their money out of their bank. That's my opinion. Um, so the family, we unanimously wanted Deborah Clark removed as co-guardian, and we unanimously wanted my sister to remain as the sole guardian of the person, and we unanimously wanted my cousin Leslie to be the financial guardian for my uncle, and we unanimously wanted my uncle to move to Wisconsin. So there was no infighting in the family. Like, the family is like, you know, what's happening up here is wrong, and this is what we want to have done. And I submitted a 48-page long affidavit of truth that was signed um, by, uh, oh, shoot, what is that called again? The uh, a notary. And um, and it, it, like, outlines the abuse of my uncle about how Deb Clock wouldn't give him his glasses, his dentures, his hearing aids, how he was being medically medically restrained, how um, they have him signing paperwork at the doctor's office saying that he's fully aware that Haldol is could could have bad effects for you. Like they're having my uncle sign this when he's supposedly incapacitated, but yet they're having him sign paperwork that says he's okay with being given an antipsychotic. So um, that uh, in the meantime, Dan Freed from the Shenandoah fires all the aides that my that my uncle's best friend had hired for him and they replaced them all with aides from another company and i you know my uncle he was used to a routine he was used to having this these aides like they had been with him for a year now and he was comfortable with them and now all of a sudden Dan Freed with no regard for how it might affect my uncle Harvey he just fires them all and just replaces them with completely new people. Um, Reverend, what do you think? What do you think that would have a f- effect on someone's mental health to do something like that to them? Well, Mary, uh, you you said it correctly. Uh, it's like these guardians and all just think instantly they know everything about this person and they think they know what's best and so forth. And this is where there are no laws that restrict what these guardians can do and how much influence they can have over a person. Now, you had mentioned earlier about uh, they wouldn't give your uncle his glasses and his dentures and so forth, and I've heard this before. And again, for the listeners, there seems to be a playbook that every corrupt guardian, every corrupt judge and corrupt lawyer and so forth, they just go down the line of all the different things they do, 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 in order to get the money and to get people excluded if uh, they are interfering with getting of this money. And I'm going through this right now. 
uh, you know, I am being targeted uh, by the Blummers uh, and this judge, Gail Weilheimer, who w- used to be in orphans court. She's now in civil court. And she was allowed to keep certain cases. Well, she kept this particular case also. Why? Because she's part of the scam. She's getting the kickbacks and bribes and so forth. And what's interesting was I, uh, about a month ago, my attorney filed a motion for her to recuse herself because we have just cited so many examples where she was doing things contrary to the law. And we just the other day, just yesterday, we got her answer back. Gail Weilheimer refused to recuse herself from the case and let another judge take over in Montgomery County. So this is how desperate these people are to keep the money coming in. Now, what most of people don't know is every year about three to five state and federal judges are taken off the bench, and usually they're disbarred because of their corruption or gross incompetence in handling legal matters. So it's not unusual for judges to be corrupt and grossly incompetent. And in Pennsylvania, about 12 years ago, two state judges are serving 20 years in prison because, and this started back in the 80s, because these two state judges were sending thousands and thousands of young children to a private prison on very, very minor little offenses like chewing gum in class, whatever. And they were sending these children to a private prison because the owner of the prison was giving them kickbacks uh, for sending people to his prison, and he would bill the state some like $1,000 a day per child. And it only came out, like I said, about 10 years ago, and these two state judges are serving 20 years in prison. They got another 10 years to go. No, but, no, one one got out because of COVID. Oh, oh really? he might get sick in there, so they let him out. Of course. Mm-hmm. And one child committed suicide, I think, a year or so after he got out because he was so traumatized by the uh, prison, by being in prison. Uh, and you had mentioned, like I said, you had mentioned about not giving back the glasses and the dentures and so forth. I think the people uh, who are going through this, they should look up uh, in the dictionary or in a law book the definition of elder abuse. And this is very important because what you just talked about, Mary, about not giving the person his dentures and glasses and all, they are forcing this person, uh, they're depriving him of nutrition, which, you know, food, you have to chew it, except applesauce maybe, but also glasses where you need, a person needs to be able to read a book, read a magazine, watch TV, and so forth. So basically they're forcing these people by doing that to live in a, basically to live in isolation in a sensory-deprived environment of basically, and that's torture. When you put somebody in solitary confinement, usually in prison, that's a form of punishment. And now you're doing it to somebody in their 70s or 80s or 90s who have uh, a degree of dementia or whatever. And this is, I mean, if you can't remember why you're there, just think of the torture that this is. And again, these are not, you know, we call them, you know, criminals, but they're animals. I mean, animals don't even do those kind of things. They, they kill for food, but not for pleasure. And this is where these people that are, uh, that, 
they see their loved ones deteriorating in a nursing home, the nursing home is supposed to t- is supposed to take care of the people, but they're not. It's all a numbers game. It's all about profit. Uh, how little do they have to spend on a worker to take control of so many people? And I see this in this nursing home where this loved person is. And this is something where uh, it's just companies who are trying to make a fast buck because they can build a state on Medicare for the person being in that nursing home. So, uh, again, they're basically a disease-infested place, uh, and, again, it's because they're so unsanitary. So, uh, yeah, Mary, it's, it's, it's really disgusting. And, again, they're, you know, you don't even find these conditions in a regular prison. But to see them in a nursing home where you have people that are not able to take care of themselves like they used to, this is where they need more help, not less help. Um, and, again, it's, it's something where uh, it's just despicable to see how these people have lowered themselves to such an extent that they're using people that cannot defend themselves or protect themselves. They're taking advantage of these people, just like any common criminal does. But I, I want you, uh, Mary, I would like you to, uh, since we don't have that much time left, I want you to uh, talk about how uh, Jaskowiak was representing Univest Bank, as I understand it, and got yes. Kaz fired. Yeah, so what happened was um, during the hearing to have my sister removed as the co-guardian of the person, even though she was the only one that was advocating for my uncle's health, uh, Univest Bank entered David, I would say Jaskowiak, but I'm pronouncing yeah. it wrong. What do you I say? Call Jack, my nickname for him is Jackass, you know, but. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Jackass so. Jaskowiak. And he then, was the um, one that got me, you know, he was the one that filed a contempt charge against me to put me in prison for revealing this person's name and never asked the person if it was all right for him to do so. So go ahead, Mary. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. And then Diane Zabowski still remained the court-appointed attorney, charging $300 an hour or whatever it was, some ridiculous price. And Deborah Clock hired Carl Pryor as her attorney. And all of them were paid from my uncle's estate. So he had, like, you know, as many lawyers and stuff that he was having to pay for as O.J. Simpson seems. Um, now, at this point, we weren't sure if Judge Ott was uh, part of the racket or not, so we didn't know what was going on there. But um, pretty much they removed my sister as co-guardian for reasons such as she retrieved my Uncle Harvey's medical records without first consulting with Diane Zabowski, Deborah Clock, or Juliana Van Doon King. Now, why should my sister consult with Univest Bank about whether she should get medical records or not? Um, another reason that she was removed was because she shared my uncle's medical records with me and the rest of the family. So they were claiming it was a HIPAA violation, where it's not because... You're, it's only a HIPAA violation if you can make money off it. I'm not, I can't make money off of looking at my uncle's records. I'm not in the medical field. So that was a lie, but they kind of, you know, they say whatever they want in these courts. And then they also claim that she called a non-emergency number when an aide had notified her that they thought um, my uncle was dying from his over-medication on Haldol and the Shannon Dell wasn't doing anything about it. So... 
Then they also had um, Dan Freed, the nursing home administrator. They had him come on the witness stand and lie because he dropped, my uncle dropped tons of weight after uh, Clock became the guardian, and he's up there on the witness stand denying it, that he didn't lose any weight. And we have pictures. He lost a lot of weight. So um, that's, those are the reasons that they used, or some of the reasons they used to remove my sister as a co-guardian, which well, is ridiculous. Yeah, it's interesting, Guys. Mary, you also said that, because, again, they, they seem to follow a playbook, and, again, these people will just lie and just defy the odds that they ever get caught. And, again, uh, the weight loss and so forth, that should be obvious at the fact that they're not taking care of the person, and that's elder abuse. Yes. Okay, we're down to a minute here. Uh, Reverend Ralph, Mary Witten, thank you so much. You pretty much carried this show tonight. I'm sorry my... I'm not up to my usual self here, so I really appreciate all that you both did here. Um, we need to keep looking at this, what's happening to these people, how the laws that do stand are being violated, and nobody cares. As long as somebody gets that money, you mentioned this bank. Another one to avoid is Wells Fargo, and First Interstate Bank is another one. Stay away from. Don't invest your money with these people because the minute they see you're vulnerable or think you are, they're coming after you. Also at the hospital, a reminder again, people are being brought in as a new doctor on your, on the case. Find out a doctor of what because many times this is the hospital's attorney who can legally refer to themselves as doctor. And they will bring them in and they begin assembling a case against you while frauding you as some sort of medical doctor. They are not. This is an attorney. So don't allow any new people in there. There is so many ins and outs on this, loopholes and things you have to watch out for. You are up against organized criminal racketeering, and they've got this fine-tuned. So stay tuned with us. We'll be back again next week. We'll be discussing more of this at length. Again, Dr. Witten. Reverend Ralph, thank you so much for carrying the show tonight. And we'll be back again next Friday night. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night.